My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? Father, we know that this is the cry of so many of our brothers and sisters around the world today. In the Middle East, in Syria, in Egypt, in Kenya, in Pakistan. And Father, as they cry out for comfort, as they cry out for strength, would you comfort them, would you strengthen them, and would you bring forth justice for them? Father, we intercede for these nations that they would know the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior one day soon and that these nations would be able to worship you together. And Father, we pray for peace among so much persecution and conflict. We pray for peace. We pray for safety for our family members there, our family of faith. But we also pray for their faith to remain strong in the midst of suffering so that they will treasure you more than life. Father, we pray also that you would give us that same grace to be able to love you more than life. For your love is better than life. So, Father, I ask that you would Release your spirit in this place right now, preparing the soil of this place and the soil of our hearts to receive your word with gladness and to be changed by it. Father, I also ask that you would give me strength, anoint me, empower me. Holy Spirit, would you preach through me? God, in my emptiness, would you provide filling? In my weakness, Would you provide strength? And God, in my unworthiness, would you provide the righteousness of Christ to cover me, to clothe me, and to use me as a vessel of grace today? Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, the thoughts that run through my mind be pleasing and honorable in your sight. O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. And it is in your precious Son's name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the greatest joys of a pastor is to see someone's faith truly come alive and to begin living as God intended us to live. You know, one of the places throughout my 15 years of pastoral ministry or so, yes, I'm officially old, uh, has uh, I've the place that I've seen in the shortest amount of time faith to really come alive is within a short-term mission setting. Uh, you know, when I uh, would train teams on a more regular basis several years ago, uh, we would go through about a 16-week preparation course. It's like an intensive discipleship training time. Uh, we would pray together, fast together, memorize Bible verses together. We would do push-ups together for those who did not memorize their verses. And a lot of the sisters in our congregation in a, uh, got much stronger arms because their memory failed them. Uh, but, you know, as we would go on the mission field, uh, we would be together as a team, 24-7, living together, suffering together, laughing together, crying together. It was beautiful. And as we would serve and pray and sweat 
uh, for these nations. Uh, we would be uh, praying in the beginning, you know, preparing all this stuff from about 5 a.m. to about 10 p.m. would be our ministry time. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, you could ask some of our guys who have been with me. Uh, and then after, from 10 p.m. to about 1 a.m., we would pray and worship and debrief and share lessons that we learned. And about four hours later, we would do it all over again. And it was awesome. And usually they would say, the team members would say, it is, that was awesome after they get back. Uh, you know, during the time is a little bit difficult for them. But it was beautiful to see lives being laid down as a living sacrifice for the nations that know him not. And for so many, they would return back home with a renewed sense of purpose, passion, and faith that comes alive. And it was beautiful to see as a pastor to see how these lives would begin changing and they would understand the joy that comes from giving their life away in the kingdom. So uh, when they would come back, again, they would be serving the church in ways they never did before. And for OEM, one testimony that I've definitely heard most common for brothers and sisters who come through once their time in Korea is finished is the deep joy that people have from serving as small group leaders, one-to-one discipleship, or serving in various ministries. They, they would tell us, our staff, it's like, I'm so glad that I finally took that step outside of just being an attender, and I would invest my life into this ministry, take ownership of it while I'm here, and they learn that true joy comes not from self-indulgence, but from self-sacrifice for the kingdom of God. That's where real joy comes from in this kingdom. And also, that's where real faith comes to life. And so, that type of faith that comes alive is what we want to look at today. Because what does that really look like? What are the marks of a faith that really comes alive? You know, last week we started a new series through the book of James, and we, in our text for today, we'll see the marks of this kind of living faith. So turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 19 to following. And we want to look at and explore the marks of a faith that truly comes alive. Also, you could follow along with me in your outline as well. And there's a few things that we will look at in terms of living faith within us. And the first thing that we learn from our passage today is that a living faith reacts through the Word. So everyone repeat, a living faith reacts through the Word. All right, so that's where we begin today, that a true living faith is one that reacts based on the Word of God. Let's look at verses uh, 19 and following of James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampart wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, at first reading verse 19, and I've heard it taught many times like this, and you probably have as well, you know, we hear this uh, phrase, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and we think that he's giving very practical communication and inner relationship advice, right? And so we've heard that. Things like, hey, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, 
right? Listen twice as much as you speak. Don't talk too much. Let other people talk and listen. Like, we think that that's, what, that's not what he's talking about, right? That's how we hear it taught often, but in reality, uh, what he is talking about here, even though there's probably wisdom in that, that yes, it is wiser to probably listen more than we speak, but what he is referring to here is that when he says, let every person be quick to hear, it's not about just hearing what other people are saying. He's talking about hearing the word of truth. So he's saying our reaction or response to life and surprises in life should be, what does God's word say about this? And then we listen to it. So he's saying, be quick to listen to God through his word and what he has to say for our lives. Be slow to speak. Don't just say what you want to say. First, figure out what God wants to say into this situation. So before you speak, let God speak to you. That's what he's referring to here. You see, when faith becomes alive in you, our reaction will be governed and guided by God's word. So be quick to listen to God's word in your life. Slow to speak, and then he says, slow to get angry. Don't let your flesh determine your response. It's not about what I think. It's not about what I feel, but it's about what God says. That should dictate our reactions in life. So be slow to speak, slow to get angry. And what's the connection there? Uncontrolled anger usually leads to uncontrolled speech. I've learned I always have to make apologies to people if I let my mouth be the first reaction to an unpleasant situation. You know, and I hear a lot of people tell me, you know, I struggle with that too. And I hear people say, you know, I'm just so sorry. I just can't help myself. I can't control myself when I get upset. But if you're not controlling yourself when you're angry, who is or what is controlling you? You know, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So to be filled with the Spirit allows us to control our lives as it was intended to be. But when you're not filled with the Spirit and we cannot control ourselves, that means something else is controlling us. So it's about learning to let God's Word be our default reaction to life's circumstances. Now, I have to confess Probably my biggest weakness and area towards sinning greatly would be anger, especially while driving. I think I've probably sinned the most in my car. Um, You know, one time I got so upset at a guy for cutting me off really bad. I drove in front of him. I cut him off and I would not let him drive forward. And it freaked him out. And I knew it freaked him out because I could see his face in shock in the rearview mirror as I looked out. This was many years ago, of course. You know, many, many, many years ago. So, you know, my wife can testify uh, that sometimes I become a different person when I get upset and feel offended and disrespected while driving. And she's always been mesmerized as to why that is. But, you know, for the past several months especially... Uh, and especially after we had our son Enoch, I realized I need to do something about this. 
sinful condition of mine, this sinful reaction of mine when I am offended while I drive. Uh, you know, because when I look at verses like Proverbs 17.9 that says, he who covers over an offense promotes love. Or Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Or Proverbs 29.11, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. And I would, at one point when this was really bad, you know, many years ago, uh, I, I printed out, I kid you not, maybe about... 50 verses that were like this, and I had to post it on my dashboard uh, in order to keep the word in front of me like that. You know, I realized that my reaction to these offenses was not of the spirit, but of the flesh, and it was sinful. So also realizing that applying Scripture, honoring Scripture, trusting in the Word of God, and seeking to submit and obey to God's Word would bring Him honor and also bring me reward for honoring God's word in that way, I decided to literally uh, change how I would react when I drive and upset. And so this is what I, I really started doing as of uh, several months ago. I would count to 10 before I react, right? Because when I get offended, I want to react right away. Uh, but I decided to count to 10 before responding to the offense. And I call it 10 seconds to treasure. Uh, so I would count because it's a treasure. What I'm doing is trying to honor God with that. And also, I believe that if I honor God's word, like the Proverbs that I just read for you, then I would receive eternal treasure for that as well. So I count to 10, and then I see if I still want to respond the same way as I originally did. And 100% of the time, I choose not to respond the way that I originally wanted to. That is my way of trying to crucify my flesh for 10 seconds. It's my way of trying to trust in God's word for those 10 seconds instead of letting my flesh dominate and dictate my responses. So in those 10 seconds, it's treasure because the result will honor God, and I believe that as I choose to honor God by my reaction, God will honor me in heaven as well. So it's a way that I try to honor God in everything, even within 10 seconds of driving. Right? So we all have different weaknesses, and before you judge me for my driving and my sin, I know we all have areas where that is our Achilles heel in our spiritual journey. That is our area of consistent falling and weakness in our spiritual journey, and mine just happens to be when I'm driving. Uh, so that's why I try to take public transportation more now. Uh, my staff knows I take the bus a lot more these days uh, in order to, because I, I don't want to let my flesh cause me to sin on the roads of Korea, right? And so this literally, when I do drive and I did that, uh, letting my flesh be in check with the Word of God, that has literally transformed how I've been driving uh, for the past several months. Again, it's not just about counting to 10. Anybody can do that. But it's the motive that I'm giving before the Lord. God, the reason why I'll count and give this buffer of time is because I want to honor you. I want to let the Spirit dictate how I live and not my flesh. 
to honor God in his word. For you see, my responses in life must come from faith in God, not my flesh. Then he gives us reason why we need to be careful when angry in verse 20. Verse 20 says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So now we must remember that anger is not a sin, because Paul tells us, in your anger, do not sin. But many times, if we're honest, it is anger that leads us into sin during times of anger. And so verse 20, when it says, it does not produce the righteousness of God, actually that phrase can also be interpreted, the justice of God. The word that is used here for righteousness throughout the New Testament is the same word that is most oftentimes translated justice in the Old Testament. And so they're interchangeable. That he's saying, our anger does not produce the righteousness of God. That's one way to look at it. But the anger of our hearts does not produce the justice of God is another way we can look at this. Right? So this is important, especially for our church to be aware of as we do pursue the justice of God in many arenas. That when we get angry because we see injustice, we don't respond out of our flesh because we're angry. We respond out of God's word for the fight for justice. So how do we let the word of God influence our reactions in life? By humbly saturating your life with God's word and submitting to it. That is what verse 21 tells us. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampart wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So receive with a humble heart, with meekness, and a hungry heart more of God's word. The word must not just be heard, but implanted deep within our hearts and our lives. Psalm 119, 911, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart. I've implanted your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. So the word will guard us, it will guide us in the place of holiness before the Lord. So we want to saturate our lives with God's word so that it overflows out of our lives. And then look at what it says. So it says, in, with meekness, uh, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to what? Save your souls. What is that word of God that saves our souls? It is the gospel. The message that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for the sins of mankind so that all who would trust in him would be saved from our sins and receive life forevermore in the presence of Christ. That message will save your soul. Therefore, we need to receive that gospel message each day and breathe it in. Receive it with humility. Right? Because it takes humility to submit our lives under the authority of the word. Because when I'm sinning in my car, it is my pride that is causing me to sin. Because I've been offended, I want to do what I want to them instead of letting the word, and specifically, instead of letting the gospel dictate my reaction. That I don't see that person who offended me as a sinner in need of God's grace. I see that person as an enemy I need to destroy. That is what the flesh does. But he's saying receive with humility 
the gospel of Jesus Christ and realize that that gospel saved me from my fallen flesh, selfish, sinful reaction, and I need to let that gospel dictate how I react and respond to other sinners who sin against me. You see, by ourselves, our flesh will fail us and we will sin. So we need the gospel daily to change our desires and our reactions in life. And when we fail, we need the gospel daily to save our souls. So that's where we need to begin. A faith that comes alive is one that it receives humbly the word of the Lord through the gospel and lets that word dwell richly within us so that when life hurts and life harms us, our reaction will be based on gospel. That is a faith that is living. Not letting the flesh be strongly dictating my life, but letting the gospel dictate my life's reactions. That is a living faith. Amen? So that's an important place that we need to begin, that we let the Word of God determine our reactions in this world. Another thing that James highlights here is that a living faith responds to the Word. So everyone repeat, a living faith responds to the Word. All right, so how do we know? So, okay, so let's look at verse 19. Um, So verse 19 says, be quick to hear. Right? And I said that hearing means the Word of God, not just hearing what other people are saying. Uh, and I'm getting this from also verse 22. Look at verse 22 of James 1. It says, be doers of the Word and not hearers only. So again, the same word. So be quick to hear. But then he says, be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. All right, so that's where we're seeing the parallel here. So literally he's saying, be a word doer, not a word hearer, not just a word hearer. Meaning, don't just agree with the word of God, act on it. Because a lot of us who grew up in the church were good at agreeing with the Bible, we're not good at obeying the Bible. We will say amen on Sunday and do absolutely nothing different on Monday. Right? Amen? Do I say amen? Do I fall into it? Anyway. Uh, and that is what he is warning against. So many times throughout this letter, James will consistently warn the church, be careful not to deceive your true spiritual condition, thinking that you're better than you really are. Because we agree to spiritual truths, we often think, I am spiritually mature. Because I agree to it. I believe it. And James keeps warning against it. That's why he also says again in verse 22, be doers. Do the word. Not just hear it. Do it. Otherwise, you're going to deceive yourself. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself in terms of where you really stand spiritually before the Lord. When you see the word, when you study the word, live it. Don't just listen. Live the word. 
or else you're deceived. So let that warning linger for a moment as we continue. So don't just agree with the word, act upon it. Verse 23 and 24, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So to just listen without living the word of God is as silly as seeing yourself in a mirror, realizing, oh man, I got to fix my hair sticking up, sticking up on my head, I got to fix my hair sticking out of my nose. And you walk away and you don't do anything. Right? So that's as silly as that. You see, um, like a mirror, the Word of God reveals our imperfections and our sins. As we see it, we are to gaze upon God's perfection, our sinfulness in light of it, and let that reality that He is glorious and perfect, and I am not, let that reality draw us to the foot of the cross again in need of what? The gospel. Because it shows us that we need a Savior. The Bible is not filled with heroes of the faith. Be like Daniel. Be like David. No, they were fallen sinners. That's not why they were in the Bible. They are in the Bible not to say, be like them, They're in there to show us they are fallen sinners in need of God's grace, just like me. And so it is there to guide us to the foot of the cross, to show us again that we need the gospel daily. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being Again, no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, do you notice some repetition here? Uh, Be a doer of the word, verse 22, not hearer only. Verse 23, if anyone's just a hearer of the word, not a doer, you're like this fool that we just talked about. Verse 25, but the one who looks at the perfect law, Being not just a hearer and forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So you hear the repetition. Be careful, James is saying, of just being an agreeer in your spiritual journey, that you agree to the truths of the Bible. That is not spiritual maturity or growth. It is not about agreements, but alignments aligning my life with the Word. So he keeps giving this warning because a living faith will respond to the Word. Not just agree to it, but respond in joyful obedience to the Word. So he says, the one who looks carefully into God's perfect law, verse 25, again, the, the Word of God is perfect without error, and does it, and does the Word, will be blessed. And it is called the law of liberty. God's truth sets people free from sin, free from death, and free to truly live. So the one who listens and lives it out will be the one who is truly blessed in his doing. Obedience that is done in faith will always lead to blessings. All right, now, finally, what's, how does he conclude here? He says, a living faith 
reflects God's hearts to the world. So everyone repeat, a living faith reflects God's hearts to the world. Okay? So, a living faith will react through the word. That becomes our filter. A living faith will respond to God's word in obedience. And a living faith reflects God's hearts to the world. Look at James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, religion here is not about an institution or a ritual list of going through motions. Uh, religion, as James uses it, it's very different from Paul. Again, it's a different writer. Uh, he's talking about, it's speaking of a true and right relationship with Jesus. True faith or a living faith and what that looks like. Okay, so that's his, what he's referring to here. So he takes us back to verse 19 again, stressing the importance of controlling our speech for spiritual maturity. So be slow to speak, and if you can't, it's a reflection of your level of spiritual maturity and sincerity. In fact, James calls it worthless. Verse 26, so again, if anyone thinks he is spiritually mature but cannot control his tongue or his typing these days because of social networking, right? If we cannot control our speech or our typing, then we're deceiving ourselves. If that part of our lives is not under God's control, right? He calls our faith deceived. So what is true, true religion, according to James? What is true living faith in the eyes of God? Verse 27. All right, this is a famous verse that uh, most of us know. Let's read that together, shall we? Ready, begin. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right, so he says true faith True spirituality is to visit orphans and widows. And now to visit actually can be translated to bring justice to as well. All right, so we can also read it as true faith, true spirituality is when we bring justice to the orphan and the widow. So true faith before God is connected to bringing justice to widows and orphans. So a true and living faith is concerned about justice for the oppressed and the vulnerable in our communities. Because who were the orphans and widows of their day? They were the most vulnerable people in their communities. And to God, vulnerability is connected to value. The world will say the poor, the refugee, the homeless, they hold no value, so ignore them, forget about them, who cares about them? But in God's eyes, they hold great value. It is a catchphrase that I use often, and I want our ministry to have in our vocabulary, and that is that the deeply vulnerable are deeply valuable to the heart of God. Those who have great vulnerability in our community, the orphan, the widow, the elderly, the single mom, the traffic victim, the refugee, the deeply vulnerable are deeply valuable to the heart of God. And if they matter greatly to God, they should matter greatly to me as well. They are the MVPs of heaven here on earth. Because the more vulnerable they are, the more valuable and concerned God's heart is for them. Amen? Therefore, practically speaking, serve. 
Serve them. Help bring justice to them. To the orphan, serve in our orphanage ministries, our homeless ministries, our single mom, single love ministry, our Hope Be Restored, anti-trafficking ministry, our elderly ministry. We have a lot of justice initiatives because this is the heart of God for vulnerability, and unfortunately, there are a lot of vulnerable people in this community. Another cool update that I have for you. Uh, You know, we as a ministry have been blessed to have been pioneers Recently, just, uh, just within the past few months, that one, a couple of our deacons, Kent and Daisy, they were able to be the first expats to provide foster care for an orphan in South Korea. And so we uh, were asking for it, we've been praying for it, we've been fighting for it in the political sector of this Korean government. And when I first talked with the Korean government about this idea, they were floored. It was never even discussed. It was never even on their radar because their, their thinking was Korean people don't even want to provide foster care. Why would foreigners want to provide foster care? That was their mentality. And so when I brought the idea up, they're like, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll see. But we never even dreamed that you guys would want to. And I said, we want to. So look into that. And so we were able to pioneer a pretty good avenue, which we celebrated as I announced it several uh, weeks ago. And you guys all clapped and cheered and was all happy about it. Uh, And also, I can also honestly say I'm so thankful uh, at the outpouring of support. Uh, Kent recently posted on our our OEM uh, Facebook page that they're so encouraged by the financial and prayer and love support that really poured into their uh, family after they provided foster care. So I thank you for those of you guys who did support in that way. An update in light of that, as word is spreading on our openness to that, recently, as early as this morning, I received a very important email extending an offer to our church uh, by people who have been in discussions on very high levels uh, of orphans, from a certain country a little bit north of here. Um, Because of the broadcast nature of our ministry, I'm going to just leave it at that in terms of location. But orphans who are from a certain country near here, uh, that they, groups in the U.S. have been trying to find a way to get them from their country into South Korea, into the U.S., and into Christian homes. We've been praying for that. Uh, and there is a possibility now, uh, politically that's hard, uh, to get them from their country to South Korea to the U.S., specifically for foster care and adoption options. So uh, one more feasible option is for them to go from their country into South Korea, uh, but unfortunately if we just stay, keep them in South Korea, a lot of them, they will just stay in the orphanage system. Uh, and obviously that's better than where they were, but most orphans who just grow up in the institution, uh, it's, the percentages are not good for really a healthy, thriving future. So it was offered to us uh, that they, there are certain groups and leap very uh, influential people on diff- multiple country sites that is extended to our church first, to OEM first, a pioneering, piloting a program that would potentially allow orphans from that country to be given foster care opportunities in this church first. 
And that's pretty phenomenal. Uh, and depending on how that goes, if that could also lead to adoption later on. And so as they asked, again, my initial reaction and response is that, yes, we as a church will take steps to care for them. Amen? Now, in reality, what I need to ask of you is for all the married couples here and those who will be married and all the parents here to seriously begin praying about that possibility if and or when that happens for us to be able to provide foster care for these orphans so that they will not be raised in an institutional setting. And I want you to begin seriously praying about that uh, as married couples, as parents, as family, uh, because as this opportunity approaches, uh, I want us to be able to respond in a way where we will be able to provide proper care. You see, what we see in Scripture is clear. The church is called to care for and pursue justice for the orphan, for the widow, and for the oppressed. It is clear in James chapter 1 that we are called as the church to care for the orphan. Amen? It is clear. And that is why I built up from the first two uh, point is that we're good at agreeing with the Bible and saying amen, but it's a little bit different story when our lives are matched up to the Bible. The church is called to provide care and justice for them, but we as a church have left this job that God has given to us we have given this job to governments and to NGOs to take care of for far too long. The fact that we have so many orphanages in this country and in this world reveals that the church has ignored God's call for our lives to care for and bring justice to the orphan. We thank God for the orphanages, yes, who have cared for these children for decades, we th I thank God for them, I do. But we must pray that the church will step up to do the role of compassionate care as God has called us to do through his word. The fact that we have orphanages shows that the church is not obeying the orphan call upon our lives. You see, the word in James says, pursue justice for the orphan and the widow. Don't just look at the word and agree with it and do nothing about it. He tells us this is exactly what James is warning us against. Don't just agree with Scripture. Live it out. We are called to care for the orphan. We are called to care for the most vulnerable in our city. And we must stop giving our job to the government to do. Amen? This is the kind of faith that delights God's heart. 
Why is God pleased with this kind of faith? Because a true relationship with God results in a reflection of God. Because the more time you spend with him, the more you become like him. We begin looking like our Father in heaven. Because what is he like? What is our Father in heaven like? Psalm 68, 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. He is a father to the fatherless. He cares for those without a father. He is a protector of widows. He cares for those who have lost their husbands. And when we care for the vulnerable, we are showing the world what the heart of our Father looks like in heaven. And that is why I believe that if we are not leading this fight for justice for the oppressed, and that's why I don't care how many times I get labeled as a social gospel, I don't care what kind of stupid labels I keep getting thrown my way on a regular basis, if we, through the word of God that I see in, clearly in Scripture, if we are not leading the fight for justice, for the orphan, for the oppressed, for the widow, for the single mom, for the traffic victim, if we are not leading the way, we are letting the world look more like Jesus than we do. And that is a sin. And we need to stop that. We need to wake up and understand that this has been our mantle that God has given to us to carry. Amen? We must pursue justice for the orphan in this nation. How many churches are fighting for them? How many churches are pursuing, literally pursuing their justice and care? I could count all of them on one hand and I'll still have fingers remaining. We must pursue justice for the orphan and the widow. What we are seeing through NGOs, nonprofits, government programs in caring for the poor, the oppressed, the elderly, the nursing, in all arenas of vulnerability, you see NGOs, nonprofits, government programs in action because the church has chosen to be absent in the places that God has called us to be in. You see, a living faith delights in God, spends time with God, and through that becomes like God and shows the world what God looks like. That is true religion. That is true faith in the eyes of heaven. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit and pursue justice for the orphan, the widow, in their affliction. Vulnerability, especially if they are going to be suffering. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, pursuing justice is reflecting God's heart to the world. And when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that is a prayer for justice. Did you know that? Why? Because justice is about making wrong things right again. And in these nations where wrong is happening, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, so that justice will be established and the wrongs will be made right. The foundation of God's kingdom is one of justice and righteousness. 
and the fabric of God's kingdom is one of justice and righteousness. Where God's rule and His reign is honored and it is where justice rules and reigns as well. So prayers for justice are kingdom prayers. God delights in our pursuit of justice because we are displaying the heart of God the Father to a broken and fallen world. You know, one of the biggest compliments I receive is when people say that Enoch looks like me, my son. Uh, I don't think so because I think he's just too cute and good-looking. So I am honored when people say that, although these days more and more people are saying that he looks like my wife. So. Uh, but, you know, there are also times where um, he will preach uh, at night before he goes to bed. And I kid you not, he'll be walking back and forth, pacing um, in our living room, pointing up to the sky, speaking to them, and doing, geez, I don't know where he gets it from, but he does all these gestures and stuff, and I don't know. But as a father, I am honored and delighted when my son resembles me in the good ways. We'll have to see how he drives in the future. But, <laughs> but so much more so is God in heaven delighted when we, his children, resemble him and reflect his heart to a watching world. And the way to show his heart the best is by lavishly loving the least of these. That is a faith that is coming alive. You know, Lily, uh, it's not her real name, but just to protect her, I'll call her Lily. Lily uh, recently came to our ministry for a very short time. She was a single mom, pregnant and alone. Uh, We embraced her right away because we found out of her vulnerable situation, provided a safe place for her to live for the rest of her pregnancy, Uh, found sponsors for her to take care of her meals and medical bills and all this stuff, and she loved being at her church. Uh, As various people served her, cared for her, provided for her, she saw Jesus in OEM. She didn't want to leave because the safe house that we sent her to is uh, outside of Seoul, so we provided another great church for her. Uh, But she didn't want to leave because she experienced the grace of God in this place. Because we didn't judge her, we just loved her, we lavished her with love, and we wanted to meet her needs. Um, and I realized that that is the fruit of what happens when faith comes alive. The world sees Jesus and falls in love with Him. Faith that comes alive brings great good to a community and great glory to God. And it is my prayer that we as a community of faith would see our faith come to life today. Don't just listen. Live it out. Don't just agree. Align your life in faith with his word and let the word of God, let the heart of God shine through you to this world that is longing for his love. Amen? Let's pray. Can we pray right now for our faith that God would grace us the ability to have a faith that will come alive?
And if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have never surrendered your heart to him, I'd encourage you to do so today. Place your hand over your heart as a symbol of all of your life and give him your sins. Give him your life. Say, God, I surrender my life. I surrender my sins. I surrender my past, my present, my future to you. Can you give him your life again today? But for all of us, can we pray that we would have a living faith for our journey? Not to be deceived thinking just because we agree to the Bible that we're okay. But what God desires is a life that is conformed to the image of his son. And to the married couples, to the engaged couples, to the parents, I sincerely and seriously ask for your prayers to come before the Lord and ask him if the opportunity arises for us to care for these orphans and refugees in our home uh, would you have us do it again God's not going to call all of us so don't feel guilty but I want you to pray about it before you say yes or no don't just say no without even praying about it. I want you to pray about it first before the Lord. And if God does not call you to be foster parents, that's fine, but also pray about your role in providing finances, provisions, care, support to those who will. So can we pray right now and ask that God would allow our faith to truly come to life? as we care for the least of these. Can we do that together? Let's pray.
verse 2. So take me as you find me. So take me as you find me with all my fears and failures. Can we lift up a prayer right now for the church in Korea once again? That God will continue to pour out His Spirit in a powerful new way of awakening the church's heart in this nation for the oppressed, for the lost, for the orphan, for the refugee, for the vulnerable. Can we pray continually, persistently, faithfully for this justice awakening to spread in this nation? And can we ask that these orphans throughout this nation 
will one day find a home soon within the families of faith. And that one day these blessed orphanages that have been doing good gospel work will no longer be needed because the church will be doing what we are called to be doing. Can we pray for that together? Let's pray for this justice movement to spread throughout this nation together, shall we? Let's pray for Korea. Let's pray for the church in Korea together. Let's pray, church. So can we just pray for each other? Let's bless each other right now. And uh, let's place a hand on the shoulder of your neighbor and ask that their faith would also come alive in ways that they've never known before. That their faith would grow, mature, deepen as we not just listen to the word but live it out in faith for the Lord. So let's pray that blessing into the faith of our neighbor today and let their life be used to bring justice to the oppressed throughout their lifetime as well. Let's bless each other with that prayer. Let's pray. Father, I I want to thank you that you have adopted us to be your children. Through the cross of Jesus, you not only forgave our sins, you made us family. Father, I'm so glad that we can call you Father. And God, I pray that your church in this nation and around the world will begin treasuring the theology and the actual gift of adoption. And that your church will begin living out what you call us to do in James. I pray that for Korea. We continue to pray for the revival of Korea. A renewal of passions. A great awakening to happen. For justice. Which is the foundation and the fabric of your kingdom that it would be the foundation and fabric of your people as well. God, I I pray that you will really speak to and move in the hearts of your people here, that for those who are single, that they will also pray and wrestle and seriously contemplate their role in caring for the oppressed of the world, that for those who are engaged and married and for the parents here, God, let us also dwell in your presence before your throne in the place of prayer, before saying no to what your word has to say. God, let us dwell with you in the place of prayer. 
And I pray that you will speak and call forth many to become grace givers, caregivers for the orphans that will be entrusted to us. Father, I ask with deep thanksgiving for the orphanages that have done this gospel work for decades. I humbly ask that one day they will no longer be needed because your church will be doing what you have called it to do. I pray that we will see that in our lifetime. Now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May he keep you close to his heart. May he keep you from falling. May he keep you faith-filled and faithful till the very end. May he keep you alive in your faith until the very end. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to shine through you to this world that is longing for his embrace. May the Lord be gracious and merciful to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, hope, strength, courage, humility, and honor for the journey home. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.